We're live on another episode of the Microbial Secret Society podcast. And t- today we got a special guest, Adam Aaron. Yep. Yeah. Good to be here. How's it going, guys? Yeah. Welcome. Adam is a natural farmer and permaculturist who studied and got his undergraduate degree in neuroscience and got his master's and molecular biology yeah and um almost got his phd and a few classes away had a spiritual awakening that brought him to the big island of hawaii um when he was doing his thesis it was understanding how the brain works specifically dealing with mental illnesses and also has a background in teaching um music for over 15 years and molecular biology at university um during his time here um he has gone through the the experience of losing land to to lava and mm-hmm. kind of changing his life from leilani and puna to where he finds himself here living in a community and a farm on the hamakua coast that um, has a license to grow industrial hemp and he started a new business um, spraying natural farming solutions locally yeah yeah thanks for having me guys appreciate the appreciate the invitation is, is all that accurate <laughs> uh, pretty pretty accurate yeah <laughs> I mean the you know um, yeah we can we can kind of iron out the details as we go but yeah that's that's I'd call that accurate for the most part. So, yeah. so when I when I saw your kind of like mini resume there, I was I was actually like, wow, in in neuro um, neurobiology. Yeah, yeah. So my undergraduate was in neuroscience, and um, uh, I went to UC Santa Cruz, and they don't actually have a um, you know graduate degree in neuroscience specifically. So what's written on the you know paper is uh, molecular, cellular, and developmental biology, but the focus is, you know, neuroscience, and in particular, my thesis is uh, mainly on, like, learning and memory, Uh, like David said, uh, using the model of um, fragile X syndrome, which is uh, the most common form of mental retardation in humans, Um, and you know how it kind of works, like, when you're you're trying to figure out... uh, what something does in a system, oftentimes the the easiest way to figure that out is to break it and see like, okay, well, what what's going wrong when mm-hmm. you know when you mess it up? Mm. Um, so yeah, it shed a lot of light on uh, you know how the brain um, stores memory and and things like that. Well, a little bit of light. We still you know we're still really scratching our heads in in that field about about how that works. There's a lot of really interesting theories on that, but, but yeah. Well, so, so I, I like uh, studying, um, you know, memory and, um, you know, associative behavior and that kind of stuff for it through computer science in that realm. Mm-hmm. I, I understand it from, you know, like, like a simple computer and in a brain, from what I understand, one side is like a parallel processor. Another side is like a, a linear sequential processor. Like so, so you kind of have both these instruments, and then you have a corpus callosum. It, it may not be pronouncing it right, but this thing corpus in the center, callosum, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, that, that kind of is like a, a master CPU to like kind of uh, monitor what's happening in this like this thing. That's my understanding. It's like from a computer scientist. Um. Yeah. So, uh, kind of. <laughs> um. It's a little bit simplistic. Like the the corpus callosum is not. Uh, it's not super accurate to think of it as like a CPU because it's actually um, just a communication highway. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's like a bus. It's yeah, yeah, exactly. So it, it's it's essentially a big, enormous like bundle of of axons, which are the you know the piece of every neuron that sends a signal from one neuron to the next, and so it's it's the communication highway from each hemisphere of the brain. So there's no actual cell bodies uh, in there doing any sort of processing. It's just sending signals across across that structure. Um, but it's it's super crucial, you know. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's cool. I like yeah. I like the richness of, of you know bringing the the biology into it of how how we're actually thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so one thing I I looked up um, was my friend was looking up how sarin gas works, how like VX gas I think or something like ner- nerve gas. Uh huh. And what it did was it blocked the ability for your brain to clear out the vinegar that you're producing. Like you're, you're through thinking, you're constantly creating this vinegar, but there's a buffer that comes out. And when they when they do a nerve agent, like you've ever seen, like the movies and or like you know the military, they use like chemical agents, and your right. body starts like convulsing and seizing and going into a seizure. It's what's happening is the vinegar isn't being cleared out of your brain. And somehow that's like short circuiting or pickling you or some like that's how that works huh. within minutes. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm not familiar. I, that's that's crazy. <laughs> I, well, I thought that pickling was pickling your brains. Well, well so I thought that was interesting because how I understand it, like fermentation, aerobic fermentation, the hmm. byproduct is vinegar. So, so you know, if you're doing this fermentation, then. Maybe in your brain, there's there's like fermentation happening, and that's what's causing you to think. That was that was kind of my. Uh, well, <laughs> that's that's I, I would say that's a bit of a stretch, but uh, <laughs> but it's an <laughs> interesting thought. Um, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I I I haven't. I'm not familiar with how you know the mechanism of how serine gas um, affects the. The, the cells but yeah I, I I'd be interested to look into it that sounds pretty pretty interesting can I share something please yeah as long as you speak up okay um <laughs> yeah it's kind of related with with the brain and something that I'm gonna participate in partake on soon um a year ago from this Saturday was when I did a 10-day silent meditation retreat. Vipassana? Retreat. Uh, Kipassana. Oh, where? And I'm, I'm feeling like a, a need to like kind of give that kind of gift to myself. So I'm going to spend like thinking like nine days in, in a cave without any light and any and any like, or with food, but like having water and blankets and stuff like that. And... What someone told me and what, what I've been researching is that after five days of complete darkness and like stillness that your brain stops producing melatonin. And then once it stops producing the melatonin, then it does this thing where it will naturally create dimethyltryptamine in your brain. And you'll start to like trip for like days like in there, like from day five to day nine. And then typically like what would happen is like you would tell like other like brothers or people in the community that you're doing it and then... And then, like, they come and, like, check on you after, like, nine days or something and see, like, what's going on. And I, I guess it's, like, an ancient practice, so, I don't know, something with the brain. and Yeah, it's interesting. Um, yeah, there's definitely, uh, you know, correlations between melatonin and, and, uh, and dimethyltryptamine. Uh, both, are, both are produced by the, by the pineal gland and, uh, you know... Um, yeah, your circadian rhythms would probably get all out of whack, and yeah, I'm sure your melatonin levels would would change, and that's yeah, that'd probably be a very interesting experience. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah, for sure. I've I've seen TV shows where they put people in like a, a bunker, an old abandoned bunker, and they put like. Um, you know, it's like a sensory deprivation thing, and they put them in there, and it it was only like a day or two days or something. It wasn't like that long. Uh-huh. I don't think it was like five days. I I really don't know because I don't even think they fed them. Like it was just like, you know, like like and and people. The only the only guy that survived was the guy who had a meditation practice, mm. and he basically just went in there and like kind of went to sleep and or like just laid there and like meditated or whatever he did mm-hmm. the rest of the people like went ape shit and started because they, they had headphones on where it put like white noise so it canceled anything and these people started like like seeing things and like throwing things and like like 
I, I don't know if you can look that up, but no, no, I, that, I remember that's what, watching that TV that, show. That's what they would say, like, in the cultural thing or in the practices that, like, when the rest of the community or people came, if, like, the person was, like, they, they talk about, like, the people that do it are typically um, people that can, like, in ancient practices, like, go between worlds, like, with the underworld and, like, the shadow and, like, the inner earth and and, like the spirit realm and then like in the physical manifestation and they claim that if like someone was to go crazy or something where they start tripping on that like the dmt is going but they're not able to like hold space and like be in one realm or the other then they're kind of stuck in both realms and they said that what they would do is like put blankets over the person and then like the community would like kind of like drum and sing and chant until the person like kind of comes back to like a, a waking consciousness and then like kind of shares that experience with like the community and what they saw maybe within themselves in those other realms and um yeah i don't know just a thought but yeah it's interesting you're you're and so you're planning to uh to do that yeah i'll let you guys know when <laughs> yeah, i'm coming no, out let us know <laughs> We'll have blankets at the ready. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yes. yeah. It's it's crazy, like, this, the sensory deprivation stuff. Like, have you, either of you been in a sensory deprivation tank before? I've been invited to, but I, I haven't I haven't had the opportunity to yet. Yeah, I had a, I had a crazy experience in one. Um, I, was, I was in there for about, like, three and a half or four hours. And, uh, yeah, it was... I mean, I would, I would say if you're going to be in a situation like that, I mean, the sensory deprivation tank is completely, you know, not completely different, but it's full dark. You're floating in like salt, heavy, heavy salt water. So your sense of gravity is gone. Um, it's soundproof. It like all your senses are just, you know, done. But it like I was in there for almost four hours, and when I came out, it was, it was crazy. Like I was so hypersensitive to every uh, stimulus. Like keeping my eyes open was overwhelming. Uh, feeling like, you know, the fabric on a chair arm was like holy crap. You know, like it was just super. Um, I was just super. Uh, hypersensitive in all my sensitive senses and uh you know it was it was really overwhelming uh for a while and it took a long time to sort of like get back back to baseline um yeah it's pretty it's pretty intense but that that was like this dude john c Lilly. he's the one who invented um sensory deprivation tanks and you know when he was putting this you know when he was like putting this out there uh most of the psychological community were were saying that like you can't do this to people they will literally go insane you know and uh you know the way like you're talking about the visions and things that that are induced with this it's like our brains are just so bombarded with stimuli at every instant of every day um it's like when you cut that off uh what happens is it starts producing stuff you know like fake stimuli essentially for for you because it's so used to this influx of information that uh you know it 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 essentially like creates new new uh stimulus for you and it's it's almost like a, you enter that like dream state kind of situation what, it's interesting. It, I mean, it makes me wonder how much of my like conscious reality is me projecting that out in the exactly. same fake way of like to to some some level of conformity, so that I can deal with what I call reality. Yeah, yeah, that's what got me into neuroscience in the first place. Actually, is that kind of thought of like, what is all of this, and like, how do I know anything is real? You know, what is this real? You know. Because it's, it's crazy. Like, you look at, um, you know, optical illusions or auditory illusions and things like that. It's like our senses, everything that we judge reality by is all coming through these sense doors of our organs. And it is so easy to fool them. 
it's ridiculously easy to like you know trick them uh into you know seeing or hearing or or feeling things that you know are just a deception so it's like how can i trust anything you know what is what is all of this stuff you know um i think you can yeah. trust the truth because truth isn't an arguable thing so if you're finding yourself ever in like a conflict or an argument there has to be like a lack of truth or understanding and within oneself because the truth is can't be argued you can have like different truths and people's truths can be different but like nature's truth can't argue it it just is yeah, but uh, I'm, one, I, what I want to, I agree with you, but what I want to say is like our, our instruments we're using to like observe nature's truth exactly. haven't even been calibrated. So like my eyes, like, like your tongue wasn't calibrated to know what good stuff tastes like till you had like natural farming things and you like calibrated your tongue to know like vinegar or whatever, like in our tools, like same with our eyes are, are touching like sure there's a truth out there but our our tools we're using are like elementary and or fallible to like even approach like just take a little little mind-altering substance and look at how radically these rules that are set in stone shift yeah yeah i really agree with that as well like i i don't disagree with the with the truth statement but uh but yeah i mean that that thing that you're you're labeling as truth are still is still being is a, is a concept that got tossed around in your mind through through your senses uh, when you really go back to it something you saw or felt or tasted um, you know what I mean yeah I mean I, I was just thinking like you know the sun rises each day it's like something you can observe and it's like true and like the sky is blue. Like, I mean, you, there could be different shades or different colors during a sunset or something. But like, yeah, I guess that you can't really argue something that's true. Well, but all those things still are just perceptions. You know, the fact that you're perceiving that sky as blue colored, um, or or I'm, seeing I'm a yeah, right. That's a good example. Like someone who's colorblind or or blind period you know that'd be crazy they don't even know what color the sky is they're blind but they don't even know what they don't even know color or, no, or imagine, light you know yeah that, that same that same way they don't have that sense like imagine we have we don't have some other sense of like I don't know what else in what frequency or what dimension we could perceive, but imagine like we're just like blind to this whole thing, and other animals are like, "Yo, humans, you don't see that shit." Yeah, well, it's absolutely the case. You know, look at bees, for example. Uh, you know, like the 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 spectrum that we perceive with our eyes. You know, that energy spectrum uh, is very small. Uh, you know, ultraviolet light. We we don't see that stuff other other creatures do it's there there's no doubt that what you what your reality is completely shaped by your sense organs so like the world of a bee or an ant or a dog even uh is completely different than the world that we inhabit you know and the you know the amount of information that's out there uh in so-called reality um, is is mind-boggling, really. It's just that we don't have the the organs to perceive it, right? You know, put on put on like um, you know those night vision goggles or something, and like all of a sudden your whole reality is completely shifted. Uh, but you're just you know you're not changing anything, but but what you're you're manipulating like what you're being exposed to. But we don't have the natural biological organs to detect those things. But that doesn't mean that that reality is not like omnipresent. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, that that's that's a uh, yeah. Well, I, I dig it. You know, um, 
But yeah, that's the that's the crazy thing when you start talking about like reality. Just because we don't perceive something, um, doesn't really mean much at all because you know all we have is this the this you know particular set of equipment to try and you know sense it. Well, so so I think I think people can sense the IMO pile, the the microbe pile. Hmm. I I know notice when people get up there near my pigs, where there's a bunch of these microbes concentrated. Even though we don't necessarily sense it with like a in in eyes or a whatever, somehow your body feels less stressed. People just want to hang out there and chill versus like go on to the next thing. They're just like and part of it's looking at the pigs and they're cute and stuff, but. I think a part of it is also that field that's created there that it's not something you can sense but you but it's a it's a peaceful uh, depth field mm. of 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 emitting in different in, um you know electromagnetic information yeah <coughs> yeah i would uh I would believe that and agree with that um you know, I th- I think we all kind of can can tune into those like electromagnetic frequencies and things, and uh, you know I I know a lot of people who are are really sensitive to those those fields. You know, um, yeah, and it's interesting. I, I I have some experience feeling like what you described too around around the piles and things, or like you know, do you think that has has to do with you know that feeling you get in like old growth forest? Uh, you know that kind of stuff too, because there's definitely like something. There's an energy there that's like palpable. You know, I don't. It'd be hard to deny that. I think. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean they're they're there. Forest bathing is like a scientifically approved thing. Yeah. Yeah, I just think it reinforces the idea of being able to collect and preserve biology and all of these places where we're able to like tap into this awareness or feeling, but I think we can also see it with our eyes. Different signs of the mycelium, either physically or some may say metaphysically, but uh yeah, I think if you can keep collecting and preserving and then nur- nurturing and regrowing those that biology, then you'd be creating like a network that has like a culmination of, of all those different aspects. And, and I think it could be really balanced and harmonious, just like how it, how it has been and always will be in a sense. Hmm. Yeah. So, molecular biology, did they talk to you at all about IMOs? No. I mean, we talk about, you know, bacteria, nematodes, and yeasts, and things like that, you know, for sure. I mean, some of the model organisms in research science are like C. elegans, which is a type of nematode, or uh, Saccharomyces cerevisiae, which is brewer's yeast, um... You know, stuff like that. E. coli. So, bacteria, yeast, nematodes, all those are microbes, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. But but they just kind of like... So, I know if you study agronomy, like soil, soil uh, or agriculture, mm-hmm. they just call the IMOs, they call them um, non-water-soluble soil aggregates. Is that right? And they just grouped this whole thing wow. of very important soil organisms together. And I was just wondering, like here, you know, it sounds like they're studying some superstars of the biological world, but there's like trillions and the diversity is just beyond the scope of the imagination. But did they did they talk about like indigenous microbes or like um, that that health? You know, like 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 gut health, for instance, or like no, that was that was something that I, um, yeah, I I had dove into myself um, was the whole microbiome stuff and the different you know yeah, um, bifido stuff and lacto stuff and all those different strains that are that are in the human gut, uh, but yeah, I mean the the path the uh, path I was on didn't really, um, I mean it had nothing to do with 
you know, soil, uh, really. So uh, there wasn't there wasn't talk about the, you know, that that kind of stuff. But um, for sure, you know, uh, even the the species that are on our our bodies and in our you know guts or in our mouth or any mucous membrane or even all over our skin. I mean, you know, it's weird when you think about the human body because like this thing that you call a self is really just an ecosystem, you know? It, it, I mean, it really is. We're like a walking ecosystem because the the majority, over 50%, you know, well over 50% of uh, what you call your body is, you know, microbes. It's bacterial cells and yeasts and, and different things um, that are all, you know, uh, working with you and... Um, essential to your to your health uh and yeah i i think people don't really think about that much and i mean just like that that number is crazy the fact that like more than half of of your body is not human cells (laughs) and it's just weird you know and and yeah like why why do people not talk about that as much you know and and i think i think now especially with the microbiome that's that's coming into uh you know um the popular uh lexicon and and people are people are talking about that a lot more and there's a lot more research being done with that which is great um because yeah i think um that's a huge a huge um contributor to a lot of a lot of diseases and and illnesses that we have you know the rampant use of antibiotics is is really you know appalling in my opinion <laughs> yeah i just i actually just did a episode talking uh with uh jennings and she i, I met her at the hfu convention and she came up to me and she said hey uh, you know um she had been following my my instagram and she's like oh hey it's nice to see you see you in person and the story she told me was that her personal immune system had been totaled, or gut flora had been totaled from antibiotics. Mm. And then she took the IMOs and then dosed herself on them. And then since then, her, her immune system was rebuilt. And so, so cool. it's like kind of like that. You, like you're saying, it's like this this um, like software type of thing running on you, like the the microbiome that's there, and like you know we we don't think of it but but it's like it's an important component that, that yeah needs to be diverse and alive on us absolutely yeah yeah not just i mean crucial and component it's really uh huge um you know for example serotonin like the vast majority of your serotonin is not produced by you it's produced by bacteria in your gut and and yeah, well, it's, and serotonin's like happiness, right? Uh, it's or, yeah, or, it's yeah. often termed like the happy molecule, the feel good. It's a neurotransmitter, and, it, um, and it's in my gut. Yeah, it's produced. The ma- vast majority is produced by microbes in your gut, and this is why. This, so, like, a lot of people with clinical depression have really effed up, like microbiomes, and all their gut flora is like out of whack. And a lot of times, you know, not all, uh, always, obviously, but um, a lot of times, like, getting your microbiome back in order will alleviate, like, these depressed patients, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, so, like, a lot of the, the bifido stuff, uh, those, those different strains and species will, you know, produce, produce serotonin, um, huh. which, by the way, is a, is a tryptamine-based neurotransmitter you know you were talking about dimethyltryptamine earlier so it's serot- so dimethyltryptamine is dmt yeah is uh you know it's a uh uh tryptophan um type of molecule which serotonin is very very similar it has you know extremely similar structure and it's actually um one of the one of the researchers uh on DMT, um, what was his name? Straussman, I think. He did he did a lot of uh, research on it, and um, his he he has a hypothesis that that we actually have a 
entire system um, of receptors specifically for DMT. And it's like another, uh, it's another neurotransmitter that our body uses similar to like serotonin, but it's so similar to serotonin um, that it, it can kind of trigger the serotonergic uh, receptors as well. So he, he did studies where he would like block particular types of serotonin sites. And if, if DMT was just, you know, coming in and binding serotonin receptors, you'd expect no, uh, no, um, effects from the DMT if you block those receptor sites. Right. But he saw the opposite. He saw that when he blocked serotonin receptors and administered DMT, that the visions were more intense than before, huh. which suggests that, that maybe what's going on is, um, you know, that there's a whole another set of receptors specifically for DMT, but DMT might possibly be, um, you know, uh, similar enough to serotonin that it's triggering serotonin receptors. Huh. Um, and that when you block the serotonin ones, then all of a sudden now all of that DMT, rather than going to both receptors, now going all to the DMT si system and triggering even even more intense um, effects. Uh, but all of this is completely pure <laughs> speculation, and you know he hasn't he hasn't um, you know come to any conclusive results with that. But it's really interesting. I mean, there's definitely a lot of neurotransmitters that we don't understand super well yet and uh you know i'm sure that there's plenty of like complete systems of receptors and, and interactions that you know we have no idea about right now and and dmt is, a, is an example of that where it's like why does our brain produce this why is this molecule in like every found in trace amounts in every living life form on the planet that we've looked at so far you know what's it what's it doing <laughs> It's really, it's really crazy, you know? <coughs> yeah, I mean, it, like, you're saying that it also binds with serotonin. Maybe that's to, like, well, mel mellow the trip out or something, like, like through that, you know, like, it or... It could be. Well, that's, but, that's assuming that its job is to, like, you know, cause a trip. But also, let me well, backtrack and well, just say, well, like, yeah, all, no, all no. that stuff I said about, like, serotonin and DMT is purely, like, hypothetical, like, none of that's uh, been shown or proven. It's just a theory based on that that experiment of blocking uh, serotonin receptor sites. Yeah, and I imagine that it's so complex, it's hard to isolate a system. But yeah. what, I mean, the part to me that's also, it, it, you bring up is that the microbes are mind-controlling us. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, in a way, you could think of it like that in a way, you know. <coughs> They're, they're influencing us for sure. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I'd say mind control, that, but... Well, to a, well, to a degree, right? I mean... I mean, to a degree, you could make that, you could make that statement for sure. Like, like maybe, uh, maybe the DMT is entering our system via, like, also this similar, like, you know, like maybe microbes are secreting it into us, and so we just, like, are then more susceptible to do their bidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very possible. Uh, it's in the realm of possibility for sure. But yeah, I mean, like, there's cra crazy stuff goes on. Like, for example, uh, like cordyceps fungus, if you're familiar with those, like, and how they take care of, uh, or, or essentially they'll they'll infect ants and um, go into the, the system of the ant and take control of their nervous system. And these ants will then uh, go like journey to a specific spot on a leaf and then just stay put and die and the the fungus will take over their body and sprout a a fruiting body a mushroom from the ant's corpse usually like from the head and drop spores uh you know it'll tell the ant like go up get higher so i can drop spores farther you know and it literally it will take control of of the nervous system and like make it do uh, what it wants so it's yeah i mean it's kind of crazy how uh i mean there's some weird stuff that goes on 
Yeah, I mean, we think we think we're in charge, and then then we find out about this secret society that perhaps has it clearly has influence on our guts to a degree. I mean, and then and then now, what what else? You know, like I've I t- today. So I was talking about something uh, earlier where I heard like I read this fact about Hawaii and the whaling industry, uh-huh. and we've done we've killed like millions of whales. Like, they used to kill, like, 300,000 whales a year. Jeez. And now when I look out there, there's there's no whales. So, you know, there's maybe, like, a 1,000 or something, and maybe I'm lucky to see a few a season. But right. there used to be just fucking whales, because there used to be hundreds of thousands of them. So it's just, like, piles of whales. Like, right. you're lucky you don't hit one when you're boating, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. But now there's none. And so this other thing of, like, this same... Um, you know, if we don't have these same microbes around, the same, like, megaflora, microflora missing, we, our brain and our potential of, like, these microbes that are emitting neurotransmitters, maybe, like, we've killed off other parts of the microbiome that these microbes used to emit, like, other other compounds that interact with our body. And we don't know today, because when I when I look out, I just see oh, there's no whales in the ocean. But people a hundred years ago, they're like, of course there's fucking whales in the ocean. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's <coughs> I uh, the 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 lack, uh, you know, the overfishing of of whales. Uh, I think definitely will play a big role in in yeah the population of those microorganisms throughout the ocean what effect that has on us i'm, I'm not i don't know if i could really speak to that but yeah just like to talk about the whales <laughs> <laughs> save the whales yeah, yeah yeah for sure what's left of them anyway yeah right yeah so um how how's the natural farming business going for you uh it's going good um it's going good i actually was just spraying a, a farm uh, right before I came out here. Um, but yeah, it's going well. I mean, it, it's yeah, the business is essentially, you know, um, it it started because my my good friend Chris and I, um, you know, we just we were talking about like both of us got you know learned about natural farming from you drake really like we went to the you know we used to live in leilani estates he was my neighbor we both lived out there and we used to go to hawaiian sanctuary and and you know listen to your talks and um you know we both were just like super stoked and excited all about it and you know we were doing it on our place and uh, you know it was great to like you know because a lot of people would come to those classes and you'd meet people and talk about stuff and everybody was just always super enthusiastic and that's what I've always found. It was, it was a similar thing to like permaculture. You know, everybody who hears like about permaculture is like, hell yeah, like this is amazing. Like it makes perfect sense. Everyone should be doing this. And they get all up in arms and super excited. And then and then they don't end up doing it. <laughs> it's really like, what's going on here? You know, and it was, it was one day, I remember one day uh, I... I had I had gone to one of one of the talks. I think it was one of your talks, and uh, I met this girl there, and she was like just like the most enthusiastic person I've ever I've ever come across. She was just like, "I'm gonna do this and this and this. I'm so excited! Like this is gonna happen. I'm gonna go start an FPJ tonight," you know. And uh, you know, I was just like, "This is great!" You know, it's it's spreading. Like more people are doing it. Great couple weeks go by and uh and i run into her over at the health food store down in hilo and um and i was like oh how's it going you know how how is how's the natural farming stuff going for you and she was like oh i didn't do it i'm like what do you mean like you haven't done anything she's like nothing didn't even do like an a fermented plant juice nothing and i couldn't believe it like i was i was floored like oh my god like she was like so excited uh and raring to go but didn't end up doing it and i just remember um finishing that conversation with her and and walking away like what is going on like why is this happening 
you know, because you're spreading the message like crazy. Like so many people on the island know about it. And thank you for doing that, by the way. Mm-hmm. It's it's a wonderful service. Um, and this podcast, too. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it was uh, it was just really like blowing my mind. Like, why aren't people doing it? And it, it made me think of uh, kombucha brewing. Because, like, I, I brew kombucha, and, uh, you know, everybody I give it to is always like, oh, my God, this stuff is so good. You know, I love it. It's so much better than anything you can buy in the store. And, um, you know, you go to the store and you buy, you know, one of those 12 or 16-ounce, whatever they are, bottles of kombucha. It's like $5 or whatever. You know, and it's it's not as health-promoting. It's not as tasty uh, and it's ridiculously expensive. You could brew it yourself, a gallon of kombucha for like 50 cents, and it'll be a million times better, you know? It, and it's, uh, it, I always wondered, like, all these people love drinking kombucha. Why aren't they brewing it themselves? It's so easy, and it's, and it's such a good thing to do. And also, you're developing this relationship with those organisms. Like, that. that's what I really am drawn to, of like, you know, it's not just it's not just this jar of, you know, of stuff sitting on your top of your fridge or something that you like never pay attention to. Well, maybe some people brew kombucha that way. But for me, <laughs> but for me, it's like, you know, those are those are living organisms that like I'm now entering a relationship with, you know, and mm. they're I'm helping mm. them. They're helping me. Mm. Um and it's this it's this give and take thing and i'm literally like consuming them and having them inhabit my body and like you know do good things for me it's it's a you know it's a it's a it's a big deal to me anyway um but anyway getting back to the the topic uh it's like why do people pay all this money to just when they can just brew it themselves and when it's better and cheaper well they just don't have the energy to do it or want to do it. Um, they'd rather just spend that money and have someone else do it for them. And so I thought, well, maybe that's just what's needed with the, uh, with the natural farming stuff. Like this girl, uh, who, who I was talking about, who I ran into, you know, maybe she would just rather, you know, she see, obviously saw the benefit in it, um, and wanted to get it done. But, you know, maybe she would rather just pay someone to go do it for her and she'll be doing other things with her time. And so, you know, I was talking to my friend Chris about that and we said, well, let's just be those guys that do it for them. Why not? Because really, what's the goal? Like the, the, the goal of the business is not to get rich. The goal of the business is to spread natural farming around, you know. And when we make like an invoice of, of this kind of stuff for customers, it's always like really detailed about like every solution and input that we make and how much, like how many gallons did we spray and, you know, what was the cost of the FAA in, the, in that and, or, you know, each input list itemized. And, and then it's like, okay, and the hours of labor. And it's like 99% of the, of the cost is just labor. Like the inputs are so cheap. Mm-hmm. And so we want like that's why we listed it out because we wanted to show the customer like look if you can do this yourself it's almost free like mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so cheap mm-hmm. the, what you're paying for is is not the the stuff we're spraying it's our time that's what you're paying for you know and if and we offer like if you want to learn it we will show you everything that we do mm-hmm. we will we will educate mm-hmm. you to make our our jobs obsolete you know, <laughs> uh, because we just, we, you know, like you, we just want to spread this stuff around. Like everyone should be doing this. Like this is just a good thing. Um, well, I, I think, you know, it's what's what's the most efficient way to spread this to more acreage. And it's, you know, teaching people's one thing, but but having someone who's knowledgeable that can be an immediate applicator to like now. Now you could, you could potentially get like, you know tens tens of acres under your belt even hundreds of acres if you with the right equipment you know and now that didn't require you know 20 people that know what's up to start fixing that acreage it required them to know that it was a good choice 
and then for you to have the expertise and the in the ability to come in and to fill that and that's a faster way to spread it to larger more acreage so i i think it's like as that's what's up i mean like more more people doing this that's really what i want to see and support and and actually yeah. like yeah be you know because people ask me all the time like when i when i teach this stuff they they also want to get it done and it's like could hand them your number or like figure out some way to schedule that's like appropriate i'd love to like you know be like oh hey well you know you're gonna learn about this stuff and it's important that they know you know you want to know what's going in things and and you don't have to know maybe there's a certain like level of detail that you want your customer to know about right that's why you're writing it on the invoice because you want right. to inform them it's about education too totally yeah absolutely yeah yeah and just yeah like you say i mean the goal is to just get it on as much acreage as possible you know i remember way early on when i first met david we were talking about like you know, long-term goals of uh, buying a little plane and crop dusting the whole island with IMOs and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's still a vision that I have. Um, yeah, and I think it's great that you're spreading the the solutions and 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 that whole process. And yeah. Um, starting something similar with natural farming i guess for the last almost six months i've been working at probably a culmination of like five acres of spraying and seeing people that were you know just um you know novice just had been exposed to it to two of those people making like you know or showing them how to do like IMO and going through the whole process so I think it's important to share and and spread it um but like you said like you want to make yourself obsolete and and that's that's kind of where like I'm experiencing it like it's like I've worked with these people for like an extended period of time and they're like developing like like almost like a full competent competency and they're inspired to kind of do it themselves well so how, how does like from my perspective i'm trying to shift the business from like i have you know now testimonials and observations and photos of growth and and things that have taken place but how like as a business you you don't want to be obsolete but you do like i understand that you do want to empower the the people to make these solutions themselves and there's always i don't know if there's always going to be but right now where we find ourselves it's like easier to buy kombucha than i mean perceived to be easier in terms of time saved because it is like a labor a labor of love because it like the input costs are are minimal but it's the labor that goes into it and then yeah it's just like being able to like scale and kind of plan for that growth is really where I'm kind of like reflecting. Yeah. So, so with the, are, are you making the solutions? Mm hmm. Yeah. We're making, we make all the inputs ourselves. Mm -hmm. And what, like, um, how, how much time does that, that, like, when you say the labor, are you talking about labor spraying or labor actually like manufacturing the stuff? Yeah, so um, it's it's kind of so we basically charge for the uh, time spent spraying, but we obviously like have to factor in the you know that m the majority of the work is not on the client's property spraying; it's prepping all the inputs, you know. Um, so that that definitely comes into um, the price price per hour of labor. Uh, and, and are you also you're also spraying like OHN like mm -hmm. the medicine? So yep, cool. So yeah, so they're they're kind of get. Uh, do, how do you how do you like label and and delineate what you're doing? Like, uh, what what do you mean? Well, like if if. Like, cause to me that sounds like that's like what I, what I would call that is like okay, well I'm gonna I'm gonna pure KNF style your garden 
if if that means I'm gonna go and put OHN like the traditional five herbs with you know, and so I'm just I'm just curious like what do you like if I look you up in the phone book what does it say does it say Adam Canna specialty on on this like like how are what like that's what I'm asking. Oh well, um, we we don't we don't necessarily say Korean natural farming. It's just natural farming. You know, sometimes we'll use the some jadam stuff or um you know other other type of things um but it's it's mainly the uh korean natural farming methods um yeah i mean we we've got usually a a client will give them a a little like cheat sheet that we made uh that's um essentially like going through listing each of the inputs and uh and what they, you know, what they do and what, what is, what goes into making them. And, uh, as, as they become, you know, and, and if they, uh, express the interest to know more about them, it's always, you know, just a conversation at that point of like going into more depth about, uh, you know, the uses for them or, or, uh, how they're made, you know, dilutions, all that kind of stuff. You know, what ratios do would you do for, you know, a soil soak compared to a flowering stage or all that kind of stuff, you know, but, but yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the times, um, you know, that'll, that'll come later, you know, as, as they, uh, and I think that, that kind of throws people off, uh, right, right out of the gate with it because they feel, they see that all that kind of stuff and they're like, whoa, this is too complicated. You know, but it's like, well, just take it, you know, a bite at a time and digest it. And it's like, it's really not bad at all. You know, you can handle it. Uh, but, yeah, some people t- tend to feel kind of overwhelmed right away. But, um, uh, yeah. To- totally. I mean, I because, you know, that's that's one of the things I've actually been working on is I studied neuroscience. Not, not, not to the degree you did, but what I learned is that you can remember, like, you know, um, five plus or minus two things. There's seven plus or minus two things or whatever. I don't know. There's some like, there's limitations to your brain. Well, the, you know, fun, funny fact. That's why uh, phone numbers are seven digits. Right. By the way. It's like the, yeah. Uh, yeah, what you can remember. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, so understanding that and knowing like, that's what I've tried to do with, with natural farming is kind of put it where it's like, okay, you can hold this concept in your mind. It's not too complex, you know, there's like nine of these things, and at first it might seem like a lot, but it's like, you know, it's it's about putting it in these neuro packets that'll fit into your brain, because it's, it's about communication, you know, education, delivering a message from my thing to yours, and so I gotta understand the constraints of the, you know, can I neuro package this? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and, uh... Yeah, and I I think I think one of the things too, because you can only get through so much in, like the you know an hour or two hour class, you know, and um, some of some of the other uh, classes I've been to, you know, you'll you'll go to them and they'll talk about a particular type of input. They'll have like a hands-on thing maybe, and show how to make it and talk about how to make it. But at the end of the class, it, it always, oftentimes it feels like, okay, like we, we learned this thing, but I feel like oftentimes they fail to tie it into the big picture of like, okay, I can go home and make lab now. You know what I mean? Uh, what do I do with it? Do you know? Uh, it, it's kind of like, okay, so now I know how to make it, but what do I do with it now? You know, it's it. I think that's a, an important part of like... Um, and and I you know you've you've said I've heard you say it before too of of kind of you know like if it's not if you don't have like every input down just put what you have you know like start with what you have if all you did was a FPJ do something with that don't just wait until you've got like every one of your inputs like down right you know just just start doing and you'll learn as you go you know. 
And and like you always say, like your mouth will know when it's right, or like your nose, and it, like you, you'll you'll be able to tell and kind of get a feel as you go along. And mistakes are how we learn, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and the the masters made more mistakes than the novices even tried. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 I th- I think. Um, uh, not getting overwhelmed, understanding. I, I, I know a bit about Rudolf Steiner and his his teaching things, where he kind of, um, like there's a there's an art to like revealing the whole picture to someone and then breaking it down into components and not not losing them. And I I value that I I got an opportunity to teach children mm-hmm. because they like you can't assume they have any prior knowledge of of anything besides like some just basic basics so if i'm going to teach them about molecular biology or like you know natural farming it's like i'm starting with just you know like well okay i'm going to compare this to a car because you know about that not to like an electron with you know things you know valence and like chemistry or you know I'm just gonna be like, well, let's let's look at this car. How does this work? Oh, da da da, and make some example that's like some tangible thing that the kids can grasp. Right. Yeah. No, definitely. And that's that's the sign of a good teacher. You know, you want to be able uh, to explain it very simply. You know, Einstein has a quote of like, if you can't explain something very very simply, you don't understand it well enough. You know. <laughs> And uh, it, it's one of those things, like if you present it and it's all complex, you know, you're, you're losing your audience and you gotta, you gotta break it down, use analogies that anyone can wrap their head around and yeah, that's how you, that's how you reach them. Yeah, it's true, yeah. Hmm. So uh, how are you distributing your information to your, your customer? Do you have like a pamphlet a pdf like what uh um yeah usually a new client will send them a little little packet um just digitally like through email and stuff um of like an invoice listing you know all that kind of stuff and like i said we have this little uh, cheat sheet that we'll give a customer um listing all the inputs what they are and um and that kind of stuff and then and then it's just after that, it's more of a uh, first meeting conversation type situation where we just start talking with with them, and if they if they're like, okay, well, go ahead, you know, go spray or whatever it is, you know, then we we just do that. If they want to talk, we'll talk all day, you know. Um, and how how are you doing IMO? Can I ask? Um, like the collection. Well, like, or, do, do you go to the client's land, collect there, like, do it, and then breed it? Or, do, or what, like, what's your process? So, um, yeah, we'll go to, we'll collect it specifically at the client's property, um, as well as, you know, we've been doing, we've been just, like, amassing a lot of uh, different um, collections. So Kind of like area, area databases? Yeah, yeah, totally. So, um, we'll go you know, a little bit higher up elevation nearby that property. Um, there are certain ones that, you know, like collections from like Colopa State Park uh, I did or, um, you know, things like that. But we, we um, tend to use a, a large diversity of, um, of uh, IMO, you know, IMO collections. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm always curious because I, I think that's like sometimes people say to me, oh, I just want to buy IMO from you. It's so much easier. And I'm like, that's the antithesis of IMO. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's funny. One of the guys I, I was farming with, he, you know, I was telling him about about all this stuff. And, and he's like, oh, oh, yeah, the IMO stuff. Yeah, I, I have some of that stuff, too. I'm like, oh, wow, really? It's like, yeah, I buy it from Arizona. I was like, do you know what the I means? <laughs> uh, I have some M.O. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. M.O. 
AMO, Arizona Microorganisms. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, so we're actually about to get into our second hour here, just, uh, just coming up. So, um, when I, uh, David's been kind of quiet, but he's been drawing this amazing picture, so it's worth it. <laughs> um, I, on this thing, it says you had a, a spiritual awakening that led you to Hawaii. Yeah. 